welcome to Becoming Your Best Version. I interview extraordinary women that I am lucky enough to have met, and we talk about what light they bring to the world and what they do to become their best version. Today, I have with me an extraordinary woman named Robin Joy Myers, who is not only exceptionally smart, she is, after all, a molecular geneticist, but she also is something that she calls a joy architect. She was aptly named Robin Joy Myers, and she helps other people cultivate joy in their own lives. She is an ICF certified self-mastery mindset coach, a TEDx and international speaker, and author to empower thousands of women worldwide to amplify their voices, embrace change, and thrive through life's transitions. She is the creator of the FEAR method, F-E-A-R acronym, and author of Alone But Not Lonely, Reclaim Your Identity and Be Unapologetically You, which was listed among the 13 life coaching self-development books that everyone should read by the publication called Fupping. Her upcoming, upcoming book, The Common Denominator, will be released in early 2022. Robin Joy's TEDx talk called The Science of Loneliness and Isolation has been reviewed by tens of thousands of people and is featured on TED.com. Her expertise also has been featured on Hallmark's home and family TV show, CUTV News Radio, Thrive Global, Medium, and Authority Magazine. Check out Linktree slash Robin Joy Myers for more information. Uh, that link is in the show notes and will lead you to a bunch of other links about her amazing work. So welcome, Robin Joy. <laughs> Thank you, Maria, for having me. You're an extraordinary woman. Oh, thank you. Well, I am so grateful to have met Robin Joy. We both, well, she was the MC for a series of women's empowerment talks. And I spoke at one in Philadelphia, and she was the MC who very skillfully harnesses the power of a lot of women the jitters, the logistics, and produces this amazing, amazing event for women that takes place all over the country and in Canada. And am I leaving other destinations out for that particular? No, I think that's it. Okay. Yeah. And um, she also helps coach women to bring out their best work. And I feel just so lucky that we cross paths and we both live in the DC metropolitan area. Isn't that funny? We met in Philadelphia and, and we live in the same area, which is not Philadelphia. <laughs> it is, it is. It's funny. And I just feel like when one opens their hearts to this kind of work, to put out light into the world and to empower other women, that inevitably you come together with like-minded people and you are one of them. Oh, so tell us, how did you start as a molecular geneticist to become a joy architect and certified mindset coach? How does that happen? 
<laughs> um, a lot of years of getting to know myself, to be quite honest. You know, it took me, it actually took me to my TEDx talk to announce to the world that I was a molecular geneticist, that I discovered a gene in fruit flies that actually, um, actually inhibited uh, wing formation, therefore inhibiting flight. And I never ever told anybody that because for me, the degree was in my graduate work um, just to hide in the lab. I was the introvert and uh, during graduate, my graduate degree, my mother had passed away. She was 53 and I was 21. So I was lonely and isolated and fought depression. And so the lab was just a place where I could be alone. And frankly, if you like science and you stay in a lab all hours of the day and night, you're going to discover something. So I think that's why. Um, well, but, you're selling yourself short because there are plenty of scientists who don't discover anything novel or useful. So, wow, Robin. Well, no. it all comes full circle into, into the story, right? But, but that was really like the purpose of, I didn't get into med school and so I went to hide in the lab. So, but it's very interesting because now with my work, um, you know, then, as I graduated, I went to pharmaceutical sales and, um, but then I became a mother of three. You know, I got married, became a mother of three, uh, became the suburbia mom, still really not knowing who I was and what I was gonna do, kind of just rolled into what life I thought should be. Not that I wasn't happy um, with my life, but just not defining me, doing what the role should be. And like many women do, and so I went from being stay-at-home mom to re-entering the workforce because of three kids, two years apart, college tuitions and so forth, and um, not being happy in the corporate world. And then I went into having a horrible female boss, believe it or not. And wow. it just, she uh, just triggered me into feeling very alone and isolated into that little Robin who wanted to go hide and like struck a chord. And so I had an event that just made me realize I'm either gonna, it was a fork in the road. I either was gonna go into severe depression down the absolutely wrong path, or I was going to empower women to start using their voice because I knew mine was taken away and I just wasn't gonna have it anymore. And that's when I decided I was gonna start becoming a coach and wow. I, and that really was like the fork in the road left or right otherwise I was driving off the road so literally left or right and um I actually started with a teen coaching program because I had it I have two boys and a girl my youngest is a girl and I was like she's gonna have a voice sort of thing but as I worked with teens I realized you know 20 year olds and 30 year olds and then the mothers we go through this pattern. And so that's what really brought me kind of full circle because it's not just the transitions in life that we have, it all comes back to, we go through life not really understanding what these triggers are. Full circle, the science comes back down to these imprints, these things that we don't realize these triggers go back to things that we were told way before we could even process them. you know a teacher, a parent saying, and I realize a lot of this comes from even my family structure, a very patriarchal structure of 
uh, don't be too feminine, you know, be quiet, just sit pretty, just, you know, stay over there. Why didn't you get 100%? 90 is good, but why didn't you get 100? You know, all those kind of things trigger something later. So realizing like we do have a voice, we do come in equal, we really do need to stand up and it all comes into really our self-worth and, and no one will give us that. We have to validate ourselves. So that's where it all becomes this nice melting pot for me. Wow, that is so interesting. I would never have guessed that you are an introvert. <laughs> I mean, you are such an amazing public speaker that you really have learned to harness your power and to use your strengths. You know, it, if you asked me, my younger self, would I ever get on stage? It would make me sick. Like I would never have done it. But what I've learned from it is that, and even taking the stage for Ted, what I've learned was it's almost an obligation to share. So if you can help that one person, like it's an obligation to share the story. So that's, that's where I think my message, why I'm so, um, so empowered and the mission is so strong to share with others that, you know, if you can help change one life and one person connects and says, oh, I get it now. That's why it's so important to do it. I completely agree. And your book, Alone But Not Lonely, tell us the difference between being alone and lonely. So it's very different, right? And I've, I've done both mm -hmm. <laughs> and I still do both sort of. Um, alone time is so important. Alone time, the time of solitude, which everybody, everybody in the world needs and women, especially, obviously, I think need it because it's really our time of solitude to get to know who we are. It's our time to learn to love ourselves because our number one relationship and our number one lasting relationship is with us. Mm -hmm. Um, so have the tough, tough conversations with yourself. You know, I say, what are the non-negotiables? You know, what do you like? What don't you like? What is that that makes you tick? Because that's what you bring to every relationship from there on. The loneliness yeah. part is that part of feeling isolated, right? And feeling like they're going into regression rather than moving forward. So that's the part that holds you back. Um, now there's a difference of loneliness and depression. So we can be lonely at times, but when it starts really stopping us from any growth or moving forward, that's where we have to really take the time to be alone. So it works hand in hand to really start going through kind of that self journey and, and start mastering who we are. So true. And it took me till age 50 to figure that piece out. It really took me to, you know, actually really hitting 53 because it was really when I turned 53 which was the age my mom passed away um, my daughter turned 21 talk about like the universe smacking me in the face because um, <laughs> I was like wow I didn't realize how young my mother was you know because as a kid you looked and you're like oh that's kind of old yes it's not <laughs> I yes. just turned 57 um and my daughter was 21 and how young and how vulnerable 21 can be so true so then uh a uh, few years after you published your book you went on to do a tedx talk widely widely viewed 
and it is about the science of loneliness and isolation. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so it started with really unpacking the science of fear. Um, you know, we talk about, people talk about, you know, fear, is it real, is it not real? And the science behind uh, loneliness and isolation starts with fear. Like we all have the fight or flight response, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But here's where the science gets really interesting that, you know, for the fear response to happen at all, like five areas of your brain lights up at once, you know, the brain's a wonderful, powerful machine, but these imprints as early as in utero, believe it or not. So while you're in your mother's belly, um, the way your mother talks about the pregnancy throughout really ages between seven and nine, um, the amygdala stores these imprints. So I like to say like, it's almost like a tattoo, right? It, like every single conversation. So it's another imprint of something that's being stored. So the child's brain really doesn't, or I guess awareness doesn't really begin until between seven and nine years of age. So they don't even really process what's being said to them. That's a lot of years of growth when you yes. go and you think about it. So whether it's a grandparent or a teacher or anybody saying anything, and it could be as simple as, you know, be quiet or, you know, get up or don't do that. Or, you know, any, any comment that a parent says that is as innocent as can be. Um, and I know I've said some to my own, <laughs> probably mm -hmm. more to my first than to my last, but um, any sort of simple comment, you just don't realize the layers that goes with it. So that is a very real thing. And then the thing with that, though, about the, um, the science behind it and the loneliness and isolation is you do have the ability to change those patterns of behavior. So the idea of neuroplasticity and changing the patterns and behavior. So if something's not working for you, you know, if you're doing something and you think, oh, that's because my, my parents did it this way and I'm just going to do it. You know, it's really, again, getting to know who you are, because if it's not serving you now, why do you keep on doing it? So, so true. It's understanding, right. Yeah. So it's understanding what it is and then changing it. And it's a matter of being, I like to say, being comfortable, getting uncomfortable because it's not an easy change. You just have to sit with it. Yes. I mean, one definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Exactly. So, yeah, your work is so important. And this awareness that uh, we can have, we may as adults have to fight against things that were imprinted in our psyche early on in life, of which we are not really aware is so important. And uh, I also write about the neuroplasticity of some of your brain. And mm -hmm. I was a big skeptic about, for instance, using affirmations when I learned about them in my fifties, but I'm not anymore. They work. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, I noticed in the research that I had done for the TED talk, like loneliness spikes, um, in your late twenties, mid fifties and late eighties. And if you think about the life cycle, your late twenties, societal wise, you know, people think like you should almost start to know what life's about, mm -hmm. right? Um, do you have the right job? Are you in a, a relationship? Like where's your life at and where is it going? 
you're only 20 years old. So mid fifties, it's kind of, you know, quotes the midlife crisis. You're an empty nester, there's transitions happening. And in the eighties, if you're, if you're still with us, hopefully, you know, you are, um, but a lot of your friends have passed away. So it's very, um, it's understandable why those are stages of really um, spiking in loneliness and depression. Yes, very interesting. And now that we have the ability to have this kind of knowledge, there's, there are things we can do mm-hmm. to combat loneliness and depression. And I think that your message about the number one lasting relationship we have is with ourselves is often overlooked when it sure was by me when I was seeking out outside affirmations as a barometer of my self-worth for so long. Mm-hmm. So I applaud you in continuing to do this work and helping people learn how to find the source of power and joy within. And it's a journey, you know, I think the mm-hmm. more you get to know yourself, I mean, I, I've, I practice what I preach. The more you get to know yourself, the more another layer appears, you know? Yes, absolutely. So I love the title you have come up with that is Joy Architect. How did you come up with that? You know, so I, I started, you know, when you're trying to figure out kind of who you are and what the brand is and, and all of that, like, what do you call yourself? Um, so the story, obviously my middle name's Joy and talk about an imprint. Um, mm. I, I despise my middle name because my grandfather, uh, when I was born, came up with this wonderful little poem of Robin Joy, Robin Joy, we're so glad you're not a boy. Um, and I was like, no wonder I never liked my middle name because they just wanted a girl, I guess. And, you know, that's just horrible. <laughs> like, you just don't do that. Um, but I've embraced joy for one, I am living a life of joy. So I do go by Robin Joy now because I really love joy as a lifestyle and it is a lifestyle. And as far as architecture, you know, we build on foundations and that what, that's what life's about. And you've got to always look at the foundation. And my foundation is different than your foundation, right? That's why we're all unique. So I want people to understand like, that building block, like your story is your story. And so the foundation is there. So you can't, you have to tell your whole story. You can't say, I'm only gonna tell bits and pieces of it. Like I was trying to only tell a bit, like I went to the lab, but I never did anything with it. Well, that's not true because I wouldn't be where telling the story that I'm really, and using the tools that I'm using now. So the architecture is building your foundation and realizing there's things you're going to keep and things you're not going to keep. And, you know, I have holes in mine and I'm going to keep those holes because that's what makes me choosing. So I think using the architecture, the joy architect idea is you can create a joy lifestyle and, and build it and decide where you're going to change patterns and create new habits. Yes, that intentionality is so important. And we each possess power to improve the level of serenity and contentedness in our lives. And you are someone who teaches people how to do that, which is so wonderful. So (laughs) So for yourself, what do you do to become your best version? You know, I, I, as I say, I practice what I preach. So every day I find, you know, I tell people, even if you start with five minutes a day, you know, um, I, I take 
more than five minutes now, but I take time every day for myself. I sit with my coffee, I write in my journal, I find time for gratitude in that, you know, there's something to always be grateful for, even if it's not the day that you expected, you know, mm -hmm. tomorrow is another day and be grateful for that. Um, so I do practice what I preach and, and that's really taking time for me and um, taking time to just realize that you have time to do affirmations. You have time to get outside and take a walk. You know, you have time to do you and realize who you are. So start with five minutes, you know? Yeah. I, I like to record a personal message. That's my favorite tip to give people. Is ah. We all walk around with our cell phones. I don't know where mine is at the moment. It's somewhere <laughs> around here. But in the voice memos, you know, record a message of I am powerful because or anything you want. I like the I am powerful because and fill in the blank. And when I started taking stages, I would listen to that message every time because it would kind of pump me up and get me ready to go. And it's my voice telling me like, you're okay, you got this. Wow, I love that. It's so simple and can be so profound and effective. And I've never heard that tip before. So thank you. That is my special tip. <laughs> oh, it, indeed it is. So I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to share with our listeners ways that they can become their best versions. Thank well, you. thank you, Maria. I am in awe of you. So thank you for having oh, me. Oh, right back at you. Thank you, Rob and Joy. Thank you.